Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Let's try that again. Happy New Year. Is everyone awake? It's a new year. It's because you were up watching the ball drop. That's why you're a little bit mellow. Am I right? How many of you were up and ushered in the new year? How many of you were like me and had no clue it happened? You are sound asleep. Amen. I have figured out in my life I've seen one ball drop. It looks very familiar every other time. So seen it once, one and done for me. But I get why people do that. My wife and daughter were up welcoming in the new year, and I was laying before the Lord at that point in time. So let's do this. Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask that you would stand and uh, just go ahead and turn and greet your neighbor and say, Happy New Year with a fist bump, high five, handshake, say Happy New Year. And please remain standing once you're done greeting each other. By the way, if you would have happened to have been from a high church background, you would know that we are currently in a um, holy season known as Christmastide. Christmastide. Christmastide goes from December 24th to January the 6th. And if you come from a high church background, you know that if you were in church, you would have turned to your neighbor and said, Jesus is born, and the person would have responded and said, give him glory. So do that real quick. Jesus is born to your neighbor, give him glory. That went way past. Jesus is born, give him glory. All right, listen, here's what we're gonna do. All last year, throughout our Kingdom of God year, we talked about the Kingdom of God. What is it? This year, it's going to be about how do you live in it. So we're gonna spend an entire year on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you go, oh, really? How could you, 52, yep, 52 weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're gonna talk about why in just a moment. But what we're going to do is we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. We've done this every Sunday. We're gonna do it again, and then you'll be seated. So part of the Sermon on the Mount, my humble opinion, one of the epicenters of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is teaching us the prayer he wants us to pray. So let's pray it together. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Let's pray it out loud together. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Now, what I want to do this morning, kind of is the inaugural sermon for the Sermon on the Mount, is I would like to do a teaching or preaching on the Lord's Prayer, the thing that we just read. And the reason why I want to do that is, 
I have very strong personal spiritual attachments to the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that I pray multiple times a day. Multiple times. I do not fall asleep without kneeling by my bed and praying the Lord's Prayer. I've done this for a long time. But not only that, I have studied the Lord's Prayer ad nauseum. I have reached out to theologians, not living in the sense, but reach out to their works. I've looked and listened and just spent, I have books on the Lord's Prayer. I've got ways to pray the Lord's Prayer, all kinds of stuff. Needless to say, one of the reasons why I'm excited about the Sermon on the Mount is several times you will hear sermons on the Lord's Prayer. Now, in that, though, I believe... Well, let me back up and just give you the context of the Sermon on the Mount. You're gonna hear this multiple times in 2023. Here's what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' vision for a new kingdom that he is ushering in. It's what it is. And if you look at the biblical backdrop to the Sermon on the Mount, here's what you'll find. You'll find that Jesus actually is in Egypt he passes through the waters. He goes into a time of testing, 40 days, and then he goes up onto a mountain. That's Gospel of Luke. Now, if you know anything about Jewish history, you know that's exactly what Moses did. Moses began in Egypt. He came through the water, which God did a miracle. He comes through the water. He, go, he leads the people of Israel into the desert. They were only supposed to be there for 40 days. But because of failure and a lack of trust, they, how long were they in the wilderness? 40 years. And then what Moses does is he goes up onto a mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments, the law of God, which is the center of Jewish faith. Well, I want you to catch this. It's very biblically clear. Jesus has just retraced the steps of Moses. And now he too gets up on a mountain and what everyone thought he was going to do was to recount the laws of Moses. But he doesn't. Jesus goes through the water, goes through 40 days of testing. He does not fail. He actually succeeds, which no one has ever done before. And he goes up onto a mountain and he delivers what? The sermon on the... You see, he is casting a new vision for a new kingdom, for a new people. The same way Moses did that for the Israelite people, now Jesus is doing the same. Now, at the center of this sermon is what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you're familiar with Catholicism, maybe you have a Catholic background, it's known as the Our Father, and other people call it Jesus's prayer. So it's known by many things. But what's important to know is, is that Jesus, in the middle of this sermon, offers his kingdom prayer. This is the prayer for his kingdom. Now, with all of this said, what I want to do is, in just a moment, is walk through the Lord's Prayer, and I want to share with you what I hear when I pray it. The things that I've studied, the way this prayer has become so near and dear to me. But before I get through that, I just wanted to remind you again of what Blake talked about. Before you exit today, if you do not have the Be Still book, please get that. There's also a journal that we have available back there for you. Please grab one of those if you haven't already. 
because what we're going to do as a church family is walk through this book for the next two weeks. And if you're worshiping with us online, feel free to stop by the City Church office. We'll make sure that you get these as well. Now, here's what the Lord's Prayer brings to us. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Now, interestingly enough, the Lord's Prayer also shows up in the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord's Prayer shows up when his disciples say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. So we find it in the Sermon on the Mount, but we find it in the Gospel of Luke when his disciples say, hey, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Jesus, you're our rabbi. You're doing a new thing. You teach us this prayer that should be prayed in your new kingdom. That's what we need to know. What's the prayer we're to pray? Now, it's interesting to note that Jewish people pray three times a day. So it's not like his disciples don't know how to pray. They know how to pray. Jews know how to pray. But they sense Jesus is doing something unique and new. And what's the prayer that will be the center of what he's up to? That's what they want to know. And so what we have then is we have Jesus saying, this then is how you should pray. And then he says, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Now this is absolutely key to know, and it's this. When Jesus says, our Father, that's a new way to address God. If you read in the Older Testament, Jews are praying to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and to the God of Jacob. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus, in his prayer, is opening up his prayer beyond the ethnic boundaries of Judaism. It's very specific. The prayers in the Older Testament are to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, is this the same God? Absolutely it is. But if you hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know that that's confined by the Jewish faith. And Jesus as a Jew does something amazingly radical. He says his prayer will be addressing God by the name that appears 348 times in the Bible. The name Father is used 348 times in the Bible. Jesus takes the most common name that you can find and he brings that at the beginning of his prayer and says, in my kingdom, when you pray this prayer, you're going to address God and it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the God that delivers you out of Egypt. It's the same God, but he says, in my prayer, you will call him Father. Now, here's what I know. I know that the word or name Father isn't positive for all of us. I know this. Some of us have come out of familial contexts where Father isn't something that makes you leap for joy. I know this. But what I think is important for us to do as Jesus' followers is to look at how Jesus explains his Father. And he tells this incredible parable, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. And it's how God as a father chases down and looks for and loves those who totally reject and rebel against him. And so what I want us to do is remember that the image that Jesus brings as God as father is not sometimes our view of what a father is. 
Jesus repairs that. He builds the image of God being a father. Now, the other thing I want us to take note of is that when we begin this prayer, it says, our father. If you've been around city at all, you know we are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. You know that we are a church that calls people to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. It's simple. But notice the word, our. It's to be prayed in community, not just alone. Jesus' prayer is a prayer that calls you into community, calls us into life groups, calls us into doing this thing called following Jesus with others. One of my mentors, Dick Foth, when he preaches, he said this, and it struck me so strongly. He said, the Bible teaches that together is always better than alone. Together's better than alone. Our Father. And then the prayer begins. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Jesus believed that the God of heaven wants to do a work in this thing that we call life that is incredibly chaotic. Notice that the prayer is not about getting people to heaven, although that's a huge part of what every church is about. Notice that this prayer is about heaven coming here. And then the prayer is, your will be done, your kingdom come. And we just simply put in at our church in Charlottesville, because we want it to be real to you. This is not pie in the sky. This is real-time, evidentiary reality of God's kingdom entering into this world. And every church in Charlottesville that follows Jesus is called to see the kingdom of God come here and to participate with God and to partner with God in his kingdom coming into this world. And then the prayer goes on. Give us today our daily bread. One of my favorite theologians said this. Notice that we don't say, give us today cake. I thought that was funny too. Give us today our daily bread. This brilliant theologian went on to say the following. Our daily bread comes to us as a gift. It's not a right as followers of Jesus, we cannot say, I worked hard, I earned it, it's mine. You see, the Lord's Prayer pushes back against that. That's how the kingdoms of this world work. But in the kingdom of God, we come before God three times a day, and we ask God to give us the basic essentials of life. You see, in Jewish faith, bread stands for the basic things you need to live. Food, shelter, and clothing. When we come before God, we ask him for bread, for the basic things of life. And that's what the Lord's Prayer focuses on. But what's interesting to note about this prayer is that in the original language, the word that in English is translated daily bread is the Greek word epiuson. Little hint, it's found nowhere else. It can't be found in Greek literature and it's found nowhere else in the Bible other than in Luke and in Matthew when the Lord's Prayer is given. So the question becomes, what is epiuson bread? 
What does that word actually mean? Well, if you were to look at it, for those of you who like to dig a little deeper, epiusos or epiuson is a cognate of epiusa that means the next day or the following or approaching or the coming day. But that doesn't completely define that word. It's just a cognate of that word. If you were to do a little research on this word, you would discover that in the third century, Origen of Alexandria, one of the church fathers wrote in, in the third century, said the following, God alone knows what it means. The early fathers who wrote the original manuscripts in Arabic call it the bread of survival. In Syriac, the ancient manuscripts say it's the bread that we need. In English, it's called the daily bread. But in the oldest text that we have from the book of Matthew, it's copied in old Syriac. In an old Syriac, it's called the lechma amino bread. And it means the bread that does not run out. And so in the middle of the Lord's prayer is a prayer against the fear that there won't be enough for tomorrow. What the Lord's prayer calls us to every time we pray it is to trust God that tomorrow there'll be enough. Because you see, one of the deepest human fears is that tomorrow we will not have enough. And so the Lord's Prayer calls me every night to kneel by my bed and to trust God that tomorrow there will be enough and I can go to bed and sleep soundly. When I pray the Lord's Prayer, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today tomorrow's bread. Give me the bread of tomorrow. Give me the trust and the confidence today that tomorrow will be taken care of. And let me tell you, many a person rests on their bed and tosses and turns as they worry about enough for tomorrow. You see, I believe at the center of the Lord's Prayer is this call for you and for me to trust God for tomorrow. And then the prayer goes on to say this, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That prayer is prayed with the following three words, depending on your historical tradition, debts, trespasses, or sins. You see, debts are what I should have done but didn't. Trespasses are what I have done but shouldn't have done. And sins, sins are things that you've committed but also things that have been committed against you. And isn't it interesting that the Lord's Prayer talks about forgiveness? In this message, we're going to put feet to our faith with the idea of forgiving. I want you to notice the Lord's Prayer never mentions love. If I would have written the Lord's Prayer, if it were mine, I'd have put love at the center of it. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus puts forgiveness. And for many, many years, I've come to believe that forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. The ability for people to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you'll never have love. Forgiveness is the thing that sustains love. It perpetuates love. 
So what I want us to do now is to pause. And I'd like for us to put feet to our faith with the Lord's Prayer. Closing your eyes, but opening your heart. Is there someone that you need to forgive? I don't know if you've noticed, but when it comes down to it, forgiving is the only thing we are called to do in the Lord's Prayer. Everything else, God does. Forgiveness is our decision to participate in God's kingdom. And here's what I believe. The kingdom of God advances every single time someone forgives another person. It advances God's kingdom. We live in a world that says your rights, you've been violated, get angry, hate, and react. But in the kingdom, in the Sermon on the Mount, we are called to forgive. It's an upside-down kingdom. But right now, would the Lord bring someone to mind that you need to forgive? Could you in this moment trust God enough to say, God, forgive them. God, in your presence, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive them. I lay it down and I trust you. God, help me to forgive. God, help us to be people who forgive those who have trespassed against us. And Lord, please forgive us for our trespasses as well. And the prayer ends by saying, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Can we stand together and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer? And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, if you know it by heart, I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes. As we are stepping into two weeks of prayer, I want to encourage you to be women and men that pray the Lord's Prayer often. With eyes closed and hearts open, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today tomorrow's bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.